Our young people, our uh, littlest children, are presenting a little program to you today. And if you look in the bulletin, it says youth, early teen, junior, primary, and congregation. Well, we actually want you not to sing with us. We were a little nervous a couple of weeks ago. And we thought, well, maybe we'll have the whole congregation sing with us. But they did so well in practice last night that we think that we just want you to sit back and enjoy it. However, at the end, where it says a silent night, we do want you to sing verses three and four with us. So um, we'll remind you after the sermon about that. But that's at the very end of our program.
We have two children that will be standing right here at the front pews, and you can come forward and put your offering in their baskets. And let's say a little prayer before we do that. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for bringing an off letting us bring an offering to you on this special day, and we are so thankful that you gave up your heavenly home and came to earth as a lowly babe and gave your life so that we might live with you forever. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen.
We need our ladies group forward, please. Come forward. We need our ladies. Come and sing, whoever's singing.
It's interesting when you come up here that you find pens and all sorts of good stuff. We'd like to thank our young people and our, all of our church members for contributing to our the music this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, this is a time of year that many are focusing on the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the, as wonderful as that was, Lord, the most significant is his death on the cross and just what the Lord Jesus Christ represents for all of us. So bless us this morning in this worship service as we open your word, apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our text this morning is from the book of Galatians. I'll give you the page reference uh, in just a moment. That's on page 1814. Oh, 1813. I'll start at verse... I'll start at verse 1, page 1813, Galatians chapter 4. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. 
So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. John was an only child who lost his mother when he was seven years old. He went to sea and at the tender age of 11 and later became involved in the unspeakable atrocities of the African slave trade. He plumbed the depths of human sin and degradation. When he was 23, his ship was in imminent peril of foundering in a terrific storm. He cried to God for mercy. Did he find it? Yes, he did. He was truly f converted and never forgot how God had had mercy upon him, a former blasphemer. He sought diligently to remember what he had previously been and what God had done for him. And in order to imprint it on his memory, he had written in bold letters, fastened over the wall, the mantelpiece, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 15, thou shalt remember that thou was a bondman, a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. John last name was what? Newton. Very, very inspiring story of his Christian life. What we have in Galatians is a letter written to Christians who had totally, totally lost their focus. And in a sense, had been set free from slavery and had become children of God and were wanting to go back into slavery. Hard to understand, hard to imagine. But that's really what we see here. That would be, make a memorable Christmas service when Pastor kicks it and puts his foot through the guitar. Look in Galatians, the end of Galatians chapter 3, for example. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, verse 26. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave, free, male, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, 
then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And he's telling these church members, these Christians, that don't allow anyone with any teaching to come along to you and try and take away your freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ, because it is the most precious inheritance that you could ever, ever have. My interest in these verses is primarily because of the time of the year in verse 4 and 5. When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. When the time had fully come, in the fullness of time, predetermined time, God had a plan, God had a purpose, and God has His own timing which is very, very hard for human beings to come to terms with that. And he knew exactly the right time for the Lord Jesus Christ to be born. Many have speculated what that phrase, the fullness of time, really would mean. You had the Roman peace, the Roman roads to take the gospel. You had the Greek language, which was universal, the Greek Bible had been, been translated into the Greek Bible 200 years before. You had the dispersion of the Jewish people, who when they hear about the birth of Christ and the good news of Jesus Christ, could take it to different lands. I don't know if all of those elements were important, but what I do know that's important is that God had a specific timetable for the Lord Jesus Christ. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, we have a time prophecy there, something that you'd probably need to study on your own to see. And it's not just Seventh-day Adventists that take that time prophecy and see it fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Other Christians do the same thing. So it's not like Scripture didn't speak about the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this specific time in history, God did something. What does our text say that God did? Verse 4, God sent His Son. Now, it's really easy to just jump over that because there's other parts of the text that maybe... Uh, are, are very interesting to get to. God sent His Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, together had a plan to save the human race. And so it's spoken here as the Father sending the Son, not forcing the Son, but sending the Son and who is the Son? Jesus Christ. He's that little baby. Did you see the children going like this? There's more action than voice. Reminding us of the baby Jesus. So that's who we're talking about, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would not stay a baby, but would grow up 
to be a man and die for us on Calvary's tree. So God sent his son. That must have been hard. Think it was easy for God to send his son? I don't think so. And it tells us that Jesus had a pre-existence before he came to this world. We call that his divinity, his deity. Bible speaks a lot about that. But it also speaks of being born of a woman. What does that suggest? That suggests his humanity. So within the one verse, we have the divinity of Christ emphasized. God sent his son. Certainly implies that. And then we have the implication of his humanity born of a woman. Doesn't say Mary. Just says a woman. And we call that the incarnation. So that's a word that's used. That's a long word that's used at this time of the year to talk of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it was Time magazine that I saw on the shelves the other day saying, who, who was this Jesus? Imagine that. 2,000 years later, still wondering who this Jesus really was. Born under what? Born under the law. What does that mean? Well, it means Jesus the Jew is subject to Jewish law, to God's law, whether it be moral, what we call the Ten Commandments, whether it be ceremonial, civic, all of this law demanded obedience. No human being, there wasn't one person in the human race that God could point to saying that they had kept God's law perfectly. There was only one. Adam was the representative of the human race, and he had failed. Now the Lord Jesus comes as the representative of the human race and gives perfect obedience to the law. In word, was he obedient? In action, was he obedient? What about in thought? Total obedience, Jesus said on one occasion, who can convict me of sin? So he was born under the law, met the demands perfectly of that holy law, And because of that, the human race, race is redeemed. It says there, to redeem those under law. Who are those? Us. Jesus was under law, met that law perfectly. We are under law. Have we met it perfectly? No. No, we have broken it in every way, shape, and form. And so we need redemption. We did get an opportunity to talk about that briefly um, in 
our class this morning. I have some illustrations. Basically, redemption means to buy back. So there are different metaphors used in the Bible to try and explain what it means that Jesus died for us and saved us. And here's one of them, the concept of redemption. So it could be the illustration I used today in the class was um, maybe, maybe a young child that would be on the auction block as a slave, and some Roman, it's a Roman concept, some Roman head of household decides to buy that child's slave. But not only does he, he pay the money to purchase that child's slave, but he also bring, and he brings that child into his home. Yes, he does, but he does more than that. He brings that child into his family. And that brings up other imagery, such as adoption. But first, he redeems by buying something back. That is the concept. The story is told of an orphan boy who was living with his grandmother when their house caught fire. The grandmother, trying to get upstairs to rescue the boy, died in the flames. The boy's cries for help were finally answered by a man who climbed an iron drain pipe and came down with the boy hanging tightly onto his neck. Several weeks later, a public hearing was held to determine who would receive custody of the child. A farmer, a teacher, and the town's wealthiest citizen all gave the reasons that they felt that they should be chosen to give the boy a home. And as they talked, the lad's eyes remained focused on the floor. And then a stranger walked to the front and slowly took his hands from his pockets, revealing scars on them. And as the crowd gasped, the boy cried out in recognition. This was the man who had saved his life, whose hands had burnt when he climbed the hot pipe. And with a leap, the boy threw his arms around the man's neck and held on for dear life. The other men silently walked away, leaving the boy and his rescuer alone. Those marred hands had settled the issue. Fits in very well, doesn't it? Those scarred hands, that scarred body of Jesus Christ settles the issue. God demands nothing more from the human race than to have a perfect representative, and we have it in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we should be celebrating at this time of the year. We write our Christmas letters. I wrote one to the church members here and to some other people. Keep the focus on Jesus. It is so easy to get wrapped up into lots of other things. Keep the focus on Jesus. Unfortunately, as, as hard as Paul tried with these Galatians, and he felt that he had got them on the right track, and they understood the good news of the gospel, and they were rejoicing in their freedom. It, all it took when Paul was out of town was for some, some false teachers to come along and say, yeah, Jesus is fine, plus something else. And they lost their focus 
and they were losing their freedom. So that's the concept of redemption. It says to redeem those under law. We were in bondage, in slavery to sin. We were under the demands, the condemnation of the law. That's why we read in Scripture there is now no condemnation. There never can be. It is impossible for there ever to be condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. See, it's not enough to read these texts and say, there's no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. And then in your subconscious mind, you're thinking, as long as I'm behaving. You have to see yourself as in Jesus. So, here's the idea of adoption uh, where it might help. It says here, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights or the adoption of sons. That's in verse 5. Well, that gives us a slightly different picture than redemption. Redemption is buying the slave back. That's pretty clear, I think. Most of us know what it is to purchase something. But adoption is, is taking us a little bit further than that. Adoption is taking that slave, so to speak, not just into your household, but into your family, where that child, that individual, would have legal rights. And I, I underline the emphasis on the legal. Everything with God is legal. The law demands something in a legal way. Christ met that. We talk of the covenants. These are legal agreements, legal contracts. We talk of being under the new covenant. All of this is legal language. And when we see the word adoption, that's what we should think of. We're not thinking of a change in nature. We have other pictures of change in nature, such as being born again and being regenerated and so on. But legally, that child is brought into the family under Roman law. This is a Roman concept. Only Paul uses this, this, this idea and fleshes it out. And that child has the inheritance, has the name, has all the legal rights as a blood child would have within that family. I don't know what greater demonstration of the love of God we can have than the fact that He not only redeems us, but He adopts us, He brings us into His family. And, as, and the way it's translated here in the NIV is that we receive the full rights of sons. And I could throw daughters in there too. Sonship is the idea. So, that little child will grow up. And in Galatians, we're not really going to go too much into this, but in Galatians, he talks of going from immaturity to maturity. So, I think it's very appropriate to say that those, that, that, that little slave boy, even though legally 
he's going to inherit everything that his wealthy benefactor owns. At that immature age, he doesn't understand that. But eventually, he will come to maturity, and he will understand, hopefully, the implications of what it means to inherit and to be adopted into this special family. So here it says that we are adopted or we receive the full rights of sons. And then in verse 6, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son. Isn't that an interesting way to talk about the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of His Son, the same Holy Spirit, this is verse 6, that was in the Lord Jesus Christ, is the same Holy Spirit that's in you and me. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, Papa. It's a very intimate term. It's a very wonderful concept. Do you remember Jesus? He says, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, wasn't it in his Gethsemane experience that Jesus cries out, Abba, Father? Do we know something of this intimacy and this tenderness that comes in a relationship with God? We shouldn't just know about these, this plan of salvation intellectually, the text says that God sent the Spirit of Jesus into where? Into our hearts. This is a heart work. Christianity is a heart work. And this Holy Spirit is going to mold us and shape us a little bit here, a little bit there, into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says there in verse 7, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you what? An heir. Inheritance. Freedom. Fortune. Family. Eye has not seen ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus says in Revelation 21, 7, he who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I would encourage you to explore this concept of what it means to be a child of God a son or a daughter of God. You'll find that it implies that God takes a special interest in you, that God has special plans for you, that God wants to lead you every step of the way, that God provides for us 
Jesus scratched his head one day and says, why are you worrying about what you shall eat or what you shall wear? To him, it was obvious that our heavenly Father will provide all of these things. He talks about the hairs of our head being counted. He talks about taking care of the birds of the field. And we're much more precious than some of these. So God provides for us. He cares for us. He protects us. And I think it's amazing that we can go to God in prayer, in our relationship with Him, and know that God listens. And it says, go to God boldly to the throne of grace. It's not arrogance to do that. It's not presumption to do that. That is what children do. Children come running in. We have pictures of President Kennedy with the little child knocking on the door and going into the room. Is the president going to be so busy that he doesn't have time for his little boy? No. How much more our Heavenly Father in heaven? This is a great theme. We could think of assurance as a child of God. We can think of security as a child of God. So when we think of that little babe lying in a manger as human and divine at the same time, and as every day of his life meeting the demands of God's holy law, and then finally his perfect life sealed on the cross of Calvary. God puts his stamp of approval on the Lord Jesus Christ, raises him from the dead. He's ministering as our high priest today. What have we got to worry about? God is on his throne. God is on our side because we are on the side of Jesus. Let's praise God this morning for the incredible gift of His Son, Jesus, to us. Amen. Silent Night was written for a guitar, and it was written in German. And so today, the first verse will be sung by Richie in German, with Lisa accompanying, accompanying. And the second verse will be sung in Spanish by Uriel. And then the third and fourth verses will be sung by you all and our group of young people, okay? Nur das 
because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. We praise you, Holy Father, for sending Jesus and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 